The Michigan man that we assumed would be the choice all along. The Big 12 has its schedule. And what exactly is against the rules? And what exactly is the NCAA doing with Tennessee? This is the College Game Day podcast for the final day of January, the 31st. It is a Wednesday. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. I'm coming off a massive court-storming upset on the flats at Georgia Tech, knocking off number three North Carolina, while Pete was not watching the game and was hobnobbing with the NFL and college football elite in the beautiful port city of Mobile, Alabama, where I, I hope you've had some delicious gulf shrimp or something something during your time there, Pete. Uh, what, what's been the biggest quick oh, takeaway yeah. from the Senior Bowl? You know, Senior Bowl, great, great event every year. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating collision, Reese, of uh, college football, the NFL, and the industries that sort of drive them, be they the agency industries, the trading card industries. That it, it's kind of a a billion dollar bi- business distilled into three dingy bars in Mobile, and uh, <laughs> that is a that is a makes for a productive environment and uh, always a uh, always a really really interesting time um on the field again we're taping this first thing wednesday morning i'll be scurrying over to uh the first practice after we finish taping here um the the standout uh i was told because quite frankly because of our friends at tennessee i didn't watch as much practice as i normally do uh was quinion mitchell the, the corner from toledo uh big you know good looking six foot 200 five pound guy who who moved really well and just showed he belonged uh i was told yesterday by jason candle he's probably gonna run in the four threes and he's a guy who we may look back when you're sitting on a desk in detroit as uh cementing himself as a uh as a first round pick here and i just think off the field reese like it's funny talking to the nfl people they're just like agape at how college football is run and structured right now like like so many scouts gm types are just laughing at me they're just like yeah this portal thing doesn't seem very fun does it <laughs> like, no not in particular uh i was like would you like to be in free agency 300 days a year probably wouldn't be very fun would it it's probably a very concentrated difficult period of time so anyway it is interesting to see how the nfl views college football and i've, I've gotten some interesting perspectives now well that brings up the distilling everything to three dingy bars in Mobile and how the business is run does, in fact, bring us to the story that came out yesterday about Tennessee and uh, in the aftermath of Georgia Tech upsetting North Carolina in basketball last night, I tried to get a little more caught up and familiarize myself with what exactly the NCAA was looking at, what exactly the alleged violations are. And the details of that do not appear to be particularly crystal clear. It's an interesting time uh, where where we are. And I wish I had a little more like, this is, what's the there there? You know, mm-hmm. um, and and why this case uh, why this case rose up, but I mean, you're still not supposed to induce athletes through NIL for recruiting, which again <laughs> offends all kind of credibility. It speaks to yeah. yeah speaks to the you know 
morally corrupt and uh, intellectually dishonest was a phrase that got tossed yeah. around in that letter. And it is intellectually dishonest. It is absolutely it is. intellectually dishonest. It really just cycles us back to where college sports were before all of this. In, in this way, yeah. the boosters do some things to get players. The schools make it their business not to know what the boosters do, but if they, if they get caught, it has been their responsibility to, to stop said boosters from the uh, illicit activities. And then it's not the boosters who get in trouble for the various uh, wrongdoing. It would then be uh, the schools themselves who get hammered by the NCAA. So what uh, I'm going to go back to this drum, and I talked to a, a prominent uh, athletic director uh, just last week uh, during some of my basketball travels. And, you know, they, they, do, not, they do not disagree that basically we're uh, going headlong towards some type of, of employment. Now, not that, to say that any of the ADs I talked to were for this, but they're kind of like, I don't, I don't know what else we're going to do, you know. And and then and then the following question comes up about, okay, then how many sports are we willing to support? What does that mean? Are we out from under the guidelines of Title IX because we're a business? What's our affiliation with the university? There are so many different levels to this that will happen. But the the immediate reaction to it is that this feels like the old school. Um, money in a brown bag and they found out about it. Now they're going to go try to get after Tennessee for it. And, but in this case, everybody has been openly given the money in the brown bags or otherwise, because it's not against the rules right now in that way, you know, to, for players to benefit. It's just this real little defined strip of area that is preposterous that you can't try to induce players to come to your university by NIL, which is ridiculous on its face because you just can't. I mean, every recruit in the world is going to ask that question. And any, any coach that says then or any uh, recruiter, whoever says, well, I'm sorry, young man, we can't discuss that right now because you're still a prospective student athlete. But once you get here, uh, then we can talk about, it. well, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, Tennessee is pushing back as schools are doing more these days. And I have to say, and this is really dangerous, but you get to do things like this on podcasts. My knee-jerk reaction is that, now look, here's a caveat that I always offer. If you show me something, you know, egregious and, you know, that's clearly against the written rule, then I'm going to say so. But my knee-jerk reaction to this is, why are you bothering with Tennessee on this? I mean, with everything going on around, how is it that this has been deemed to be against the rules if, in fact, it is what some outlets have said, that it centers around a private jet for uh, Nico Iamaleva? You know, what's against the rules? What's not? I mean, Tennessee even went so far to say uh, in the statement, apparently, or the uh, – not the statement, but the response to the NCAA, the letter – that we didn't violate any rules and you know and you can't enforce some retroactive rule that wasn't against yeah. the rule then i mean it seems it it seems sort of silly to me i don't know why they've picked this particular yeah. story out can you can you uh, as as my 6th grade science teacher mr brewer used to say 
Mr. Thamel, Mr. Pete Thamel, can you lift us from the realm of ignorance into the realm of understanding? <laughs> I will probably push you further into the realm of ambiguity. Uh, I, I will say this recently. We're at a really interesting inflection point with NIL. Uh, one of the things I picked up, wrote a little bit about in my news story on ESPN.com yesterday, and will continue to track, is the notion that we've seen a semi-similar case at Florida State, right, with an assistant coach driving a, a, a recruit to the collective. Um, we've seen a little bit of the case at uh, at Florida with uh, the the uh, wild Jaden Rashada uh, courtship, right? And I bring those up to say we are in the middle of a crackdown of NIL legislation. And that, I just say that without judgment in fact. I've heard mm-hmm. and not confirmed, but just like we could be seeing like almost two dozen of these, maybe 20, definitely over a dozen. Like these are coming and they're coming fast. Uh, that was one of the things that I'd sort of started to hear some buzz on it last week. And that is that is picked up pretty, pretty significantly as I made calls around that space yesterday. As for Tennessee specifically, Reese, few thoughts. Uh, one is that it is, so, so from 30,000 feet, and again, when you, when you give the NCA's perspective, sometimes people just accuse you of being like pro NCA and carrying their water because everybody's become so anti NCA that even just giving their perspective, you know, like shines light on you is like me. So I'm just going to say this from a unbiased, like position for a year or whatever we hear, it's the wild, wild west. How many coaches told you it's the wild, wild west? There's no rules. And then the rules get enforced in some way. And again, part of the NCAA's issue is they can't tell you exactly what has been happened here yet because there is no notice of allegations yet. Although it seems close. And Don B. Plowman's letter hints at a lack of institutional control. So they've clearly gotten a hint of what's in the charging document without that. So um, why this one, I'm not sure probably because a lot of the guidelines, rules, and Tennessee's basically defenses, there aren't any rules, or there's very few rules, or there's not specific rules uh, there. So why this one um, sort of met the ire, I don't know the answer to. Because again, we, you know, in Sports Illustrated broke the story yesterday of the investigation, and then we all kind of scrambled and, and tried to backfill details. I was told there'd be probably multiple level one and level two violations. Um, so I think Plowman's letter to Charlie Baker, which got made public through a public record request yesterday, was really interesting to me, Reese, because it hinted at the hypocrisy that you you just spoke of. It also hinted a little bit at Tennessee's desperation, quite frankly, Reese. Like, they can't be a repeat violator. Like, that's when you right. get in real trouble. So they went to the familiar playbook. The playbook is, let's attack the NCAA. And potentially, I've even heard there could be some legal action pushed forward uh, about the fairness of NIL. And that could happen here in the next couple of days. So um, yeah, when you don't like the facts, you argue the law, right? Didn't we talk about that? In, yeah, uh, if in you don't like the, the facts, you argue the law. If you don't, and the facts aren't on your side and the law is not on your side and you pound the table. So, yes. Yeah, so there was some arguing of the law and definitely some table pounding yeah. yesterday by Don Plowman <laughs> in Tennessee. So the lawsuit has been filed that I hinted at earlier in the podcast, the attorney generals of Virginia and Tennessee. And quite frankly, there were more attorney generals engaged on this. That's a low number. There was going to be, I heard as many as six states yesterday. It was going to be four. Now it's two. 
um, they, uh, they they filed uh, they filed suit against the, the the NCAA. I think like the NCAA has left itself open to fiery rhetoric. Uh, this is what we have from this complaint here that I just got while we were taping the pod. The NCAA is thumbing its nose at the law after allowing NIL licensing to emerge nationwide. The NCAA is trying to stop that market from functioning. This month, that announced new proposals related to student athlete protections in NIL. They allow current athletes to pursue NIL competition, but it bans prospective college athletes from discussing potential NIL opportunities before they enroll. It's like a coach looking for a new job and freely talking to many different schools, but being unable to negotiate salary till after he's picked one. Uh, so it's uh, a lawsuit that exposes the lack of common sense of the NIL system. That's basically what <laughs> we have to we have to distill it. And uh, if you look at the record of lawsuits against the NCAA. It is, uh, you know, it is a very, very high percentage record. So, um, and this one doesn't appear like they, that there's going to be much muscle to push back on. So, um, interesting times, Reese, when you you will go to the courts to get what you want from the NCAA. And this is why there's outside people trying to figure out the future of college athletics because it's going to be courts and judges and labor relations boards that end up setting the guidelines, not actual leadership. For decades, we've talked about slash complained that college sports moved at a glacial pace, that they turned like a battleship as opposed to a speedboat. With all of this, they might have to be more nimble and quicker change might be coming because we've heard the complaints, this is all unsustainable. And maybe it is, not for the reasons we've heard the complaints about because typically that's just people protecting their territory or their money or their prestige or their power but it might be because of all of these legal maneuverings and so resolution is needed for the good of the enterprise and that is probably some type of employment arrangement and collective bargaining and how all of that works and how quickly you can cobble that together and who represents the players and what the structure looks like, and does that then become um, a two two super leagues that some of the current members are not included in? You know, this is these are all things that you looked at and said, okay, this could be like 10, 12 years down the road. Maybe not. Maybe not. You know, if if this continues on. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, with so much talk about who's going to draft which quarterback and who needs a quarterback, one coach certainly does not, and that is the new coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, Jim Harbaugh. He's got Justin Herbert. He won't have to worry about that. However, 
His successor at Michigan, uh, Sharon Moore, uh, will have to find a quarterback. There are some other things that they're going to have to fill as some of the staff has gone with Harbaugh into the NFL. What, what, are, you, what are you getting from, from this selection? I think the Michigan people are very satisfied with Sharon Moore getting the opportunity to succeed Jim Harbaugh there. But I would also imagine that the early days of this with him it being his entire program, him not running the game game day because of some various suspension, is there is the proverbial drinking from a fire hose aspect to this for Sharon Moore, I would imagine. Yeah, Reese, I think uh, the most important thing since his hire that's happened, obviously, Jesse Minter left. Um, Coach Harbaugh's son, uh, Jay Harbaugh, the special teams coach, is expected to leave. Uh, but really, and those are obviously critical pieces, but the straight coach, Ben Herbert, leaving, uh, which came out on Monday, is just a huge loss. Herbert was Wisconsin's strength coach under Bielma when they were winning Big Ten titles. He came in midstream and helped change the entire trajectory of that program. I've had people on that staff tell me he was the most valuable staff member other than Harbaugh. So I really feel like that, and again, they, they hired one of his assistant strength coaches. They're going to try to keep everything sort of in line and keep rolling in the same program. But I do think you, you lose your day-to-day coaching presence and then you lose your day-to-day weight room presence. That's going to, that's going to be a significant part of this reset um, as we uh, as as we look ahead for, uh, for for Michigan, there's a lot of buzz down here in Mobile, staying on the sideline with college coaches. Does Sharon Moore bring in like a big name offensive coordinator from the outside? Obviously, we just saw uh, Ohio State do that. Uh, do they promote Kirk Campbell, the quarterback coach, who had an analyst a couple years ago, and has moved up there? The DC job is wide open and is a is a really interesting one. Uh, that you know they have to fill. I mean, the the back to back hires of Mike McDonald and Jesse Minter at Michigan um, were were critical because Don mm-hmm. Brown um, had just gotten smoked by Ohio State for a bunch of years in a row, and they they made changes. Same way Ohio State's making changes now in the wake of losing to Michigan, those were the changes Michigan made when they were on a losing skid to Ohio State. So yeah, there's a lot for Sharon Moore. Keeping the roster remains a priority. Uh, you know, the the Will Johnsons of the world, the Mason Grahams of the world, could command the highest NIL deal. So I think that's a, a challenge to Ward Manual and a challenge to the collective. That's a test. Keeping players of that caliber is a test to the infrastructure that's been set. So we will see if, uh, if you know, if they can do that and, uh, and, and, and push forward. They also, and I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, but talked to some coaches about here at Mobile, they're also going to have to go on a, a spending binge in the post-spring mm-hmm. portal. That's like very, very real. And so it will be interesting to see how ready they are financially, how ready they are in terms of the collective. And, you know, that's a test of your personnel department, et cetera, because especially on the offensive line, specifically at quarterback, they have a great young quarterback. um, But I don't know if they're ready to compete next year for the Big Ten title the way the roster is situated right now. Uh, the the great young quarterback that you're referencing, Alex Alex Orgy, who got some playing time, is that? It's not. I believe it's Jaden Davis. Yeah, Jaden Davis. Uh, he's from Providence Day in, in Charlotte. Now, again, I'm not saying he's like ready to start right away, but he's sort of like the highest regarded prospect in their quarterback room. Alex Orgy is a good quarterback, 
who could go well be a solid Big Ten quarterback next year. We just really have only seen him in run packages, Reese. We just haven't seen him do a lot yet. The one thing I will say, he doesn't lack for stand flat-footed arm strength. I was watching him throw in the pregame of the Rose Bowl, and it's, it's okay. an entirely different thing. I get it. You know, I mean, actually executing the passing game. But if you're looking for someone to – to throw for distance, he's okay, you know. So, or it seemed to yeah. be anyway. He's having a having a good day that day. Is is there anyone? And I, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but you mentioned the Baltimore Ravens pipeline from John Harbaugh to Jim, the staff, and the back and forth with Mike McDonald and Jesse Mentor. Now Mentor going on with Jim uh, to the Chargers. Is there anyone, a position coach waiting in the wings that you've heard scuttlebutt on from that pipeline that might come into the Michigan staff? I asked that question the other day, and part of the issue there is, especially if Mike McDonald gets the Seahawks job, which is a looming possibility, um, and Jim and Jesse going to San Diego, and the general preference of coaches not to coach college football now because it's an over-litigated mess, um, that, that those pipelines are going to be a little bit dry once you we start sending personnel to a couple different addresses. And quite frankly, Baltimore is going to want to keep their good people too. You know what I mean? Like there's, you know, it's hard to mm-hmm. develop those types of people internally. So there is no obvious logical name, I guess I would say. Reese. And, and you know what? That might not be the worst thing in the world because I think the one, uh, you and I are both very high on Sharon Moore. Obviously, he did a great job in difficult circumstances this year, but he had a great team and he had a great infrastructure. But when you're the head coach, it needs to be your program. It doesn't need yes. to be the continuation of someone else's program. That doesn't mean he needs to change things for change's sake and say, well, I'm putting the Sharon Moore stamp on this. That's not what I mean. It, it just means he can't always say, well, can I find someone from the Harbaugh tree? Can I find someone from the Ravens? Can I, you know, he may want to do things differently. And if if they don't have, and they obviously do, or they wouldn't have hired him. But if you have a coach generally in which you do not have the confidence to do that, you don't have the confidence in him to allow him to run the program, you say, we want you to come in and run the program the way it's been being run, then you probably didn't hire the right coach. So Sharon's obviously, I would think, going to make some changes um, some by necessity, some by choice, and I think Michigan will be will be in good hands ultimately. Down, you know, as as it goes forward, how quickly uh, that materializes, maybe this year, uh, maybe in the future. Hey, next week and a staple of the podcast throughout the off season, we will invite more guests to join us and. New Washington head coach, erstwhile Arizona boss, Jed Fish, will join us to talk about his new job and how to follow up what was a wildly successful season for the Huskies and a wildly successful team a season for the program he just left. A little controversy in his departure as well, so we'll look forward to having Jed join us on the podcast next week. And we're pleased to be joined by NFL draft scout extraordinaire Matt Miller, great asset on uh, our coverage of the NFL draft. So what we've thought for a long time that the primary theme of this draft, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels is now has now moved up into that picture as well. What do you think is the primary theme of this draft as we sit here on the final day of January? 
Yeah, I, I think it is still, guys, dominated by quarterbacks at the top, as you mentioned, those three. But then I would also say we might see three to four pass catchers drafted immediately after those three quarterbacks. I, I think it's a very real world that we could see quarterback, 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 and then three wide receivers and tight end Brock Bowers in the mix as well. So uh, as much as you know, this wow. class we've talked about three names at quarterback for months, I would say this is an offensive tackle class that is incredibly deep. It's a wide receiver class that's incredibly deep. So the the first 32 picks when we get to Detroit are going to be dominated by offensive names this year. So, uh, you know, last year was this, you know, good draft class with a lot of talent spread across the board. This year, it's great because those core team building positions, quarterback, left tackle, wide receiver, uh, we're going to see a lot of names drafted. I mean, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about more than half of the first round comes from just those three positions. So, Matt, uh, one thing I've learned in, in covering some drafts is that quarterbacks will always be overdrafted. It's such a critical position, and there's such a dire need when you see some of these guys who I don't even remember playing college football rolling out there and starting in week eight. It will always be overdrafted. So right now, the record for quarterbacks being picked in the first round is six. Do you think we see six this year? And by the time the draft comes and the order settles, do you think we could have five in the top 15? So I don't think we'll see six. I I think there are six quarterbacks who could be drafted in the top 50. Washington's Michael Pinnock, who had a really good first day of senior bowl practices, uh, is is kind of that guy who's on the fringe. But I think, as as you guys know very well, the four years of injuries at Indiana are really tough to overlook. And I would also say, a lot like last year when I came on your guys' podcast, we talked about C.J. Stroud and that great performance against Georgia, and it left this lasting impression with NFL scouts and, and general managers. Well, Michael Penix kind of has the opposite problem because the lasting impression was uh, the worst game of his two-year career at Washington against the Michigan Wolverines, the national championship game. So that last impression was, you know, all the question marks you had about his tape were really, I think, verified by that game. So five in the top 15, very possible. I do think that Bo Nix from Oregon has a lot of fans in NFL scouting circles right now to where he could be that guy, Pete, who does get pushed up. But you know, the era of second-round quarterbacks is almost gone. I actually posed yeah. this question to someone last night. So the, the idea of, oh, we'll wait till the second round to draft a quarterback. You got Drew Brees, who was the number 32 pick in the draft. You have Derek Carr, and you have Jalen Hurts. Other than that, second-round quarterbacks in the last 25 years, it, it's really kind of a myth. So maybe maybe I'm wrong in Michael Penix. The medicals come back. Uh, you know, I know, Pete, you had a great story on, on his knee and where things are at. Uh, if those check out well at the NFL Scouting Combine – Maybe we're looking back on this and saying, okay, six in the first round might actually happen. It seems to me the smartest thing to do is wait until the final pick in the draft and take your future quarterback. <laughs> right. That's it. That'll get you right to the Super Bowl, won't it? And it's a lot cheaper than, than drafting <laughs> one in the first round or, or spending you know, $30 million on one. That's the ticket. And I, I do think this year, you know, there's a, there's a pretty big gap this year at the quarterback position. You know, there's not that you know, mid-round guy that you feel great about. So I think we'll be talking plenty on day three about, you know, the the Michael Pratt's of the world coming out of Tulane and mm-hmm. Spencer Rattler coming out of South Carolina. You know, which of these guys could maybe be that, you know, day three spark quarterback? Let me let me ask you this. You mentioned panics, and I, I think that's a bit of – I understand it, but he also played really well against Texas, which I know had some yeah. – problems in the secondary but that front you know and the rest of the defense was strong he played great JJ McCarthy I mean 
good, really good player, really talented player, didn't necessarily put up eye-popping performances in the in the two playoff games, but he's got a lot of he's got a lot of skill. There are the occasional wow throws on tape that very few people can make. From what from what you've evaluated and from what you've heard, what about J.J. McCarthy? Where does he stand right now in the draft process? I know this is going to surprise a lot of people, but I, I truly believe this, that he will be a top 15 draft pick because you know, evaluators are in love with the tools and with mm-hmm. the mental makeup. And, you know, there's this belief that at Michigan, he was kind of, you know, there were guardrails put up for him because they had such a great run game. They had, you know, an offensive line that could just overpower people. We saw that in the second half against Penn State, you know, when he, he didn't, you know, attempt a pass that wasn't called back for a penalty. So I, I think that right now, you know, with, with McCarthy, it's more the things that you don't know you're comfortable with. And, and you can kind of excuse those away by Michigan didn't throw the ball a lot. Uh, outside of Roman Wilson, they didn't really have an established wide receiver. You know, it's not the way Jim Harbaugh was running that offense. They were playing to win games, not to showcase J.J. McCarthy as a draft prospect. So I, I think those the question marks about J.J. that we'll have headed into the combine are ones that, you know, people are pretty comfortable with because – he lost one game at college football. I was saying last night to some people, that gets brought up when you talk to scouts about J.J. McCarthy all the time. Guy lost one game. you know. So he's a leader. He's a winner. The arm strength and athleticism are, are really good as well. But I'll be very anxious to watch him throw at the combine because there are throws where if I want to watch Michael Penix throw you know, a back shoulder fade, it's pretty easy to turn on the Washington tape and see that. If I want to watch J.J. McCarthy make NFL throws, you got to dig through a couple games to get – 10 NFL level throws. So I think that the, the combine workout will be big, but where things are right now for him, I would say he's pretty comfortably goes in that first half of the first round. I can think of, I can think of places to start the Ohio state throw and then watch the Nebraska yep. game of all things, watch the Nebraska game. And there mm-hmm. are, there are NFL throws in, in that game as well. I'm, I'm a fan, but I, I just, I find it a fascinating a fascinating thing when we lead up to the draft, how teams can get fixated on one aspect of a player's performance, whether it's a physical characteristic, you know, hand size or whatever it might be as, as it pertains to quarterbacks or one game. Now, I thought that C.J. Stroud would be good. I did not know that he would look like he might be the best quarterback in the NFL in, in a few years. You know, I mean – he, he had the tools, but there was always this thing, and it, it shows how some guys are really suited to the NFL game, and they also have to get in the right spot. That there was will – he, will he take it over? You know, will he really assert himself? So those questions were answered in that Georgia tape. So that, that was one thing that helped him, obviously. And then he just built on it this year. I mean, I look at that guy now, and as much as I, as I love Bryce Young, and I do, and I still think Bryce Young has a chance to be successful – you know, if they help him out the way they've helped out CJ. But I'm like, that's going to be one of those things where you go, how in the world did anybody go ahead of CJ Stroud? You know, I mean, he looks like he's going to be the best quarterback in the league for years if he continues on, on this track. No, absolutely. And, and you have to, you know, give credit to the staff that's around him. Bobby Sloak is a first-time offensive coordinator. has done an amazing job. It's great for CJ that, that, that support staff and the coaching side is going to be back for him in year two. You're going to get – Tank Dell, a player who flashed here at the Senior Bowl last year, you're going to get him back healthy. And I'm with you, Reese. I liked C.J. Stroud a lot. If he had gone first overall, I would have praised that pick. He goes number two overall, and it ends up being a a perfect situation for him. So I I think the cautionary tale there, though, is not that C.J. is so much more talented than Bryce Young, but it's that that 
the environment and the situation are mm-hmm. as important as the tools that the quarterback has. You know, the, the age-old debate of, you know, if, if Patrick Mahomes had gone two instead of Mitchell Trubisky, how different is the world right now? Or is it at all? You know, d- does that change anything, that, that ecosystem that he's dropped into? So, you know, I, I CJ, I think also – you know, had a chip on his shoulder coming into it through the whole draft process of he, you know, he really felt like he had proven against Georgia that he was the best quarterback in the country and was the best quarterback in the draft. And then we go to the combine. That's still the best passing workout I've ever seen a quarterback have at the scouting combine. And so it was like, he was checking every box that that was thrown in front of him and, and still, you know, was not being given the credit. And, you know, the, the, the kind of rumors that he wasn't doing well on testing before the draft. I, I think he put those, those rumors to bed pretty quickly <laughs> with, with how well he played. So I'm excited for year two. Um, and, you know, to, to pull this back into this year's draft, the guy this year might be Drake May that everyone's overthinking. You know, mm-hmm. when you watch him play six foot four, 230, you're on the right podcast for that take. <laughs> Reese Davis has a vicious man crush on Reese Davis. Uh, on, on Davis. I, well, that's also true, Pete. I also have a vicious man crush on Reese Davis. That's true, too. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> he does have fantastic hair. We all can agree on that. Uh, Reese has been on the Drake May train for uh, whew, for a long time. So it's, it's, that's it's good. his it's, train. You, so. It's a good train to be on. He's a good quarterback. But I do think he's the guy right now. And Caleb Williams is getting some of this too from the, I, I think from the draft online communities, at least of being over-evaluated, you know, when a player has been in the spotlight for so long, we really start to pick them apart unnecessarily. And I, I think that happened to CJ last year. If you've heard a guy's great for so long. You, you start to look for the flaws instead of appreciating all the great positives. So I, I think it's interesting. You said we could go quarterback, 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 receiver, 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 and uh, maybe some tackles thrown in there. Just, has football just gone? Are we in an era of just extreme offense right now that may be corrected? And there's different, you know, it's a it's a, it's a game of flows and trends and things go. But do you just think like this this could be remembered as the draft where like everyone went to the extreme on offense in in the sport? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think you know there's a, a huge conversation to be had about guys playing seven on seven from the time they're six years old and they're just more developed. They're more ready. Uh, I also think you know. I, a lot of people want to play offense now at the junior high, high school, college levels. You know, it's it's fun to play offense. There's not a lot. You know, when I was growing up, you wanted to play corner and be Deion Sanders. You know, or you wanted to play running back and be Barry Sanders. Now, you know, these guys want to play wide receiver. They want to be, you know, the, the, the fancy positions getting the ball. So I think that's, you know, a trend where more, more of the athletes than in the past would have played running back or corner. They're not playing quarterback and wide receiver. So I do think that that helps. But also, you know, oddly enough, on the NFL side, this was kind of a down year offensively. Uh, defenses really seem to catch up. I mean, think of the struggles that the Kansas City Chiefs had throughout the year. You know, Brock Purdy throws four picks against the Baltimore Ravens on, on you know, Christmas. So I, I think defenses in the, in the pro side have caught up a little bit. This draft might be the correction to that of, okay, we've, we've got some superstar receivers starting to get, you know, near or above age 30. Mike Evans, Tyree Kill, you know, some of these guys are starting to get older. So this might be the draft that we see that next wave come in. A lot like we did with, you know, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase coming out of LSU and immediately entering that conversation as, you know, great top five receivers in the NFL. This could be that a similar type year where we have a Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze come in and immediately, you know, put themselves into that category. What do you what do you what has stood out from what you've heard and seen? so far in Mobile that, that might be a little bit off the radar that by the time we get to Detroit, 
is going to be a theme in the in the draft. Yeah, I think right now, you know, a lot of the positions, Reese, are stacked. And by that, I mean, you, you like the three wide receivers. They're all kind of grouped together. You know, we'll figure it out who's one, two, and three. I think we're seeing that at offensive tackle, where for so long it was assumed that Alou Fashionu from Penn State would be, oh, this he'll be the top tackle. Well, I think Joe Alt from Notre Dame is, is definitely pushing on that. Uh, Felice Fuaga is having an amazing week here. Um, yesterday, his, his first practice was one of the better practices I've ever seen an offensive tackle have here. Uh, and he's going against, you know, elite pass rushers and absolutely shutting them down. So, I, you know, I think Quinion Mitchell – uh, is a riser that could break up that corner tier. Uh, Tyrion Arnold is by himself for me, but that tier two corner group, uh, I definitely think Quinion Mitchell has put himself above some of the household names like a Kool-Aid McKistry, Kalen King. Oh, wow. Above Kool-Aid, huh? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. Uh, and, and again, Kool-Aid's a household name. That's, you know, he's from the brand at Alabama, but uh, don't be surprised if a corner from Toledo and a corner from Missouri go ahead of, of the, the bigger named Alabama player. Oh, yeah. Pete Thamel, was that a was that a pop culture reference that you just put in? It did was. you just did you? Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, I missed hey, it too. Wow, hey, and I missed oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, Adrian and no, Adrian and Taylor, will you mark this moment on the in podcast <laughs> history that that Pete Thamel slipped in a really good pop culture reference with uh, with Kool Aid McKinstry. I, I think Pete's got an NIL deal brewing with with Kool-Aid. What if what if Thamel and Kool-Aid McKenstry actually did a commercial together, sort of in the vein of those uh Fansville commercials? That would be fantastic. Yeah, I just just I don't want to try to get open against him in the slot. That that's where I would rather <laughs> Well, according to Matt, you'd have a better chance of getting open Thamel, against him okay. than against Terry on Arnold. I like Terry and Arnold, man. <laughs> so Ooh, do I. I like Terry and Arnold. <laughs> Big personality, too. Fit, fits that position. Yes. Big personality. Matt, do we have a first-round running back this year? No. No, we, we don't. And, you know, I maybe Jonathan Brooks was starting to trend in that direction. I think people forget, and I know you guys know, you know, he didn't start at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. C.J. Baxter was starting for Texas. But Jonathan Brooks came in and absolutely took over, you know, became someone that that offense could lean on. Uh, I think he was starting to trend in that direction and has the unfortunate – you know, ACL injury kind of later in the season. But there's not anyone right now that, that gives you the the three-down ability of a B. John Robinson or Jameer Gibbs. Uh, that, that just doesn't doesn't really exist in college football right now. Um, of, of somebody who has that special blend of running ability, speed, power, pass-catching ability. Uh, so I think we're going to see, you know, we might not see a running back drafted in the top 50, um, which hasn't that hasn't been the case for quite some time even as the position's be, been devalued a little bit so uh this could be you know a down year for the running back position uh, our our good friend mel kiper jr will be uh the first to point out you shouldn't draft a running back in the first round anyway so this is a year that will will certainly back up that point well he, he might be right most of the time but <laughs> Bijan robinson jameer gibbs seem to be pretty solid picks they're doing okay yeah, yeah, they're they're doing. I want to ask you one more question before we let you go and, and kind of wind this back to quarterbacks because you brought up something uh, that is really important about having the right team, the right system, the right support around guys. And I do not have uh, incontrovertible evidence that Trey Lance or Mac Jones would have succeeded um, at a high level had they been in in the right circumstance for them. I mean, obviously, you see Brock Purdy's doing where Lance was, and I know there were injuries involved there as well. Are there 
among the quarterbacks likely to be taken in the first round, who is uh, who are the guys who absolutely have to have that, as opposed to maybe a couple who might sniff the rarefied air of a John Elway, of an Andrew Luck, of a Cam Newton, who will just pull everybody with them and they're going to make the team better no matter what. Who are the quarterbacks who need to be in the right spot when they're drafted in the first round? Yeah, I, I might surprise you by saying this, but I actually think it's Caleb Williams. And, and he might actually qualify as both. He He's good enough to pull a team up, but I, I'll say he has to be in the right situation because Caleb's fascinating to watch. I mean, the arm strength is amazing, the agility, the ability to extend the play. But that's also what gets him in trouble. So I think with Caleb, the, the things that make him so great are also the things that worry you. And as much as we've seen Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson when he was younger, uh, be able to extend plays and make these crazy throws, uh, it, it can also be what, what holds them back at times. Maybe not as much Mahomes because he's superhuman. But I think for Caleb, it's going to be that can you rein that in, but still let him be creative and unique. And so that's why I do think the situation matters. And, you know, all eyes are on the Chicago Bears, bringing in Shane Waldron, bringing in Thomas Brown uh, last night, the big hire for him as a passing game coordinator, trying to make sure that there is that support staff around him to where he can thrive and be this unique, rare quarterback, but also someone who you want him to play within the framework of the offense. You know, for all Brock Purdy's successes, he, you know, is someone who's executing. He's, he's doing exactly what he's asked to do at a, at a high level. It's, it's very hard to do. A lot of people can't do that. Um, and that's, that's not going to be Caleb Williams. He's going to frustrate you at times. Uh, so I, I just hope he gets into a situation, and maybe it will be Chicago, where, you know, they're able to kind of put up some guardrails, you know, that he doesn't run off the road completely. But at the same time, they, they let him create and be the, the unique player that he is. What would you, Pete, I'll ask you this. Probably an unfair question because I know you and I are immersed in college football, but I mean, we watch the NFL also. What would you do? Would you stick with Justin Fields or would you go with presumably Caleb Williams? I would go with Caleb Williams. I would go with Caleb Williams. And I don't know the price you can get for Justin Fields. I've seen some like second round. Is that about his price, Matt? You think you get a second rounder for that's Justin? the yeah, right. I think right now that's, that's this where things are right now. The conventional yeah. thought. I just think that position is so important. And I think you have a, we have enough Justin Fields to know he can be a good NFL starter. But if you have a chance to get a transformational once a decade player, you go do that and you take Caleb Williams. I, I, I think it is one of the more fascinating kind of like, you know, we get these sort of uh, draft debates that live in lore right? Luck first Griffin. You know, there's, there's always some that, that come up. And I think this is kind of a unique twist on one. It's keep Justin uh, or, you know, because they could, they could really get a ransom for that too. You know, and yeah. they, they certainly have other holes in there. What do you think they could get for that pick, Matt? More than they got last year. It, it becomes a bigger debate, Pete. Like, do you, do you just call the Washington commanders have the number two overall pick and say, you know, let's start there. What would you give us to, to move back one yeah. spot? And then at two, you call the next team and say, what would you give us to move back a couple yeah. spots? So you just have to find the point in the draft where you're comfortable stopping. Last year for them, it was number nine overall, uh, where they got mm-hmm. Darnell Wright, who had a great rookie season. But um, they, they could get a lot more than they got last year, which was you know two first-rounders and a, basically another first-rounder and wide receiver, DJ Moore. We don't root 
But I'm going to confess that I was hoping the Lions would win the Super Bowl so that when we were all together for the NFL draft in Detroit, I could intro the draft. Welcome to the home of your Super Bowl champion, Detroit Lions, for the 2024 NFL draft. So um, that part's disappointing. Nothing else will be. And I hope we talk to you again uh, leading up in the time coming to the draft. and look forward to seeing you in Detroit and certainly talking before then. Matt, appreciate you being with us. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. And if, if I don't see you before then, then we'll have a lot of fun in Detroit. One other thing that's going to materialize that I teased, have you had a look at this giant screen-consuming grid that is the uh, Big 12 schedule with uh, more than 12 big teams in that conference coming up? Have you had a look at this thing? You know what? I, uh, I've seen some headlines about it, but I have not. Uh, I have not. Oh, I got the grid right here. I got it's a, a I got 16 by right 16 I'm extravaganza, the... Peter. Yeah, no, that is uh, that is something. That's uh, I didn't take enough math classes at Syracuse to uh, to be able to figure out a grid uh, a grid of this nature. Uh, I'm, who do you pick would, to win the Big 12 right now, Reese? I, I don't know. I would have said Arizona before our guest yeah. on the podcast next week. Uh, Jed Fish moved along to mm-hmm. to Washington, and that's no slide at uh, Brent Brennan. Maybe they still will. Uh, by keeping their quarterback and and uh, their receivers, but you know that's a that's a tough call at the moment. New coach saying he's going to win the conference probably probably a bit of a stretch. Uh, I, I don't know. That looks wide open to me. I'd be making it up at this point in January. What do you think? I, I don't know. The, the beauty of this Big 12 is that the, the distance from the top to the bottom isn't very far, right? right. I think you could make a case for Utah mm-hmm. um, with everything they have back and assuming Rising, Cam Rising can back. stay healthy. Yeah. I think you can make a case for West Virginia, you know what I mean, As if you're doing four or five teams. Um, mm. There's a case for Oklahoma State. Both Kansas schools have a case, and I would think Arizona has a strong case. So that that's fun to me when you've got six teams that can win the league. Like that's the, the beauty of this big 12 is that it's chaos. It's perfect. It's, I hope a lot of these games are like Thursday games, showcase games, Friday games where we can, we can sit and watch them. This is, this is a fun league the way it's been constructed. I I look forward to seeing it rip. I want to, I want to talk to um, either your Mark or someone in charge of the scheduling, because there are some obvious um, questions as you look at the schedule. I mean, I know they never have, but Kansas and Kansas State aren't playing on the last weekend of the season, but Arizona and Arizona State are. Uh, BYU and Utah are not. Uh, you've got UCF and Utah, and I wonder when is BYU uh, Utah? Is it early? Yeah, BYU Utah is. Uh, it's the second Saturday in November. Um, so you know, I mean, okay. it's, not, it's not the end of the world. You can play whenever. I wonder if. There was at least some thought, and obviously they went ahead and left Arizona, Arizona State, where it was. But I wonder if there was some thought to avoiding what we've talked about, the potential for happening in the Big Ten, where you have Ohio State, Michigan, then you have Ohio State, Michigan again in the championship game. And then if they were to split, uh, heaven forbid, might you, if not the first round, might you set it up for a third match in the in the quarterfinals or something, you know, if uh, if they weren't separated very far or maybe if they are maybe one of them sweeps and they're number one and the other one's the nine seed and they win one game and and boom they see them again 
So I wonder if there was some thought to spreading out some of the rivalries. You still might get the matchup, but at least you would spread out the the rivalry meetings. I don't know. Maybe it was just maybe it was just an algorithm, and this is what it spit out. I don't know. So, you know, who made out best in this matrix Reese of like missing different teams? I want to say Kansas' have- schedule. Yeah. Okay. You haven't. haven't I I haven't. I haven't gone that deep into it just yet. And sort of to your point, Pete, is with so little distance between whatever the perceived top and bottom is, is there really anyone who, you know, in the old SEC days, you know, before they went away from divisions, which they will this year, you'd look at the uh, SEC West team that missed Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee, and say, hey, you know what, they could, you know, they could sneak in there and. Yeah, you know, maybe not Florida. Maybe I should replace Florida for the moment with Missouri as a nod to our friend Coach Drink. But you get the point. Historically, you know, when when those three were the the big ones, those are the ones you missed. I don't know that you have that dynamic in the Big Twelve right now because I don't know exactly how it's going to how it's going to set up. You know, maybe there ain't no uh, Bama and Georgia in in that league right now. Maybe know? maybe not, and and maybe maybe it'll be that. Um, that the favorite in that league ain't hard to find, you know. After all, they've yeah, got they've true. got a quarterback coming back that's uh, that's awfully good. Got off to a good start last year. So, thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. We encourage you to subscribe or download wherever you prefer to get your podcast.